Amen. You may be seated. If you need a Bible this morning, raise your hand. Uh, We'll get a Bible to you. You will definitely want to follow along with us this morning as we're going to be looking at uh, quite a few passages of Scripture. Uh, If you weren't here Wednesday night, Wednesday night we, uh, we looked at the topic of worry. And we looked at what Scripture had to say about worry. And just so you know, if you weren't here, we were worried about why you weren't. But <laughs> uh, So we looked at worry on Wednesday night, and this morning we're going to be looking at an equally compelling topic, if you will, doubt. If you will, allow me to share some uh, not-so-famous quotes with you. We are the people our parents warned us about. (laughs) You can't have everything, where would you put it? You can't have everything. (laughs) It's one of my favorites. (laughs) There really is no such thing as fun for the whole family. If life were fair... Elvis would be alive and all the impersonators would be dead. (laughs) Going to get an amen on that one, huh? You know there is a problem with the education system when you realize that out of the three R's, only one of them begins with R. Only one of them begins with R. (laughs) This is my favorite. If toast always lands butter side down, and cats always land on their feet, what happens if you strap toast on the back of a cat and drop it? I mean, does anybody else think about that? <laughs> so, this morning, we're going to look at some other famous quotes, uh, biblical quotes, from a man in Scripture that we all admire by the name of John the Baptist. Now, it's said of John the Baptist that he was a product of the great outdoors, living in the wilderness since his teens. He reveled daily in the beautiful sunrises and sunsets over the desert. And John the Baptist loved the freedom of his simple life. His constant preoccupation was preparing the way for Christ. You see in the Gospels that there are three very prominent quotes from John the Baptist, and we're going to be looking at each one of these in more depth. But initially, here they are. John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're all familiar with that one. He also said, He must increase, but I must decrease. But one that's a little less known that John the Baptist quoted was, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now, along with these three statements, we are going to focus on three main points. So if you're you're a note-taker, get out your pencil now and uh, write down these points to follow as we go through this. Point number one is to declare. As John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's declaring, this is a declaring, a statement of declaration about Jesus. Point number two is decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. So John 
focusing on in that statement who Jesus is and who John is, right? He must increase, I must decrease. And point number three, which is the focus of our teaching this morning, is doubt. And we look at that quote of John's that says, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? So our study this morning is going to focus on the third one, specifically, doubt. And I've entitled this teaching this morning for your notes, When in Doubt, Don't. Real deep, I know, but when in doubt, don't. But let us set the scene, if you will, by looking at the other two first. But before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you this morning that we have opportunity to come before you and learn from your word. And Father, we want to put ourselves in a place where we observe what the text has to say, Lord. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we're able to interpret what the text has to say. And then, Lord, we pray that you just give us application from this for our lives. So, Lord, bless our time of study. Be with us as we go through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, contrary to what you might think, John the Baptist was not in reference to what church he attended. We all clear on that? I'm not talking smack here to our brothers and sisters in the Lord who associate themselves with the Baptist church, of course, but John the Baptist, Baptist refers, of course, to what he did. He, he baptized. So uh, last month we had the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit here. How many of you guys got to come in and see that? It was just a, what a blessing to have that here. And we know from history that from where the scrolls were found that there was a group of people that lived nearby the caves where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found called the Qumran community. And the people that lived in this community were called the Essenes. Now sometime during the 2nd century BC, the Essene community separated itself from the rest of the Jewish community in Jerusalem by moving to the Judean desert to prepare the way of the Lord, which is Isaiah 43, and it was taken literally by the Essenes. So the Essenes, from what we know from their writings, also had a practice of many ritual washings and cleansings that were prevalent as a part of uh, their community covenants. Uh, So because of this, there is evidence that John the Baptist may have been a part of this community for a time. We can't say for sure, but uh, the possibility is pretty intriguing when you think about it. So John then comes on the scene baptizing with water so that Jesus would be revealed, it says in John chapter 1. So getting to our text this morning, Turn to three places, if you've got the dexterity to use all your fingers there. Go to Matthew chapter 3, and mark it. John chapter 1, mark it. And Luke chapter 7. So Matthew chapter 3, John chapter 1, and Luke chapter 7. Once again, Matthew 3, John 1, and Luke 7. We're going to start with Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to read from verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. So John came preaching a message of repentance in the Judean wilderness. He was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 3 that verse we looked at regarding the Essene community. He was clothed in camel hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he was eating locusts and wild honey. Boy, the kind of guy that just young ladies would be attracted to, right? (laughs) That whole camel hair outfit, you know, the leather belt, probably a great big belt buckle, you know, some sort, popping locusts, drinking wild honey. And he was baptizing people in the Jordan River. Now, this gives us a good description of who John was and what he was doing. So, point number one, declare. Flip over, hold your place in Matthew chapter 3, but flip over to John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at uh, a section of Scripture there. John chapter 1. Starting with verse 15, John chapter 1, verse 15. John bore witness of him, which is Jesus, and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now jump down to verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Then the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, our statement of declaration here, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, 
This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So John makes it very clear, doesn't he? He declares who he is not. He said, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, I'm not the Christ. He declares, however, who he is, which is, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, as was prophesied about him. And he makes it very clear, he declares who Jesus is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So here, with this audience, John is going to clear up any confusion about who he is and what he's there for. He's there to make straight the way of the Lord. So flip back to Matthew chapter 3, if you still got your finger there, Matthew chapter 3. Hold your place in John. We'll be back. <laughs> Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Then in verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to join or to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus comes to John to be baptized, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And who was there to witness that? Who witnessed the whole thing? John. So you might have a question just to touch on it briefly, why was, why was Jesus baptized to start with? We know that it wasn't for repentance because Jesus never sinned, right? Uh, most scholars agree that Jesus asked John to baptize him simply as an act of obedience to God's purposes. God had given John the promise of a coming Messiah and the way to identify him. And Jesus fulfilled that promise. Also, it affirms John's ministry and it's an example for us. So why then did the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus? Because we believe in the Trinity, God, the Spirit, and the Son. If the Son is the Spirit, then why did the Spirit descend upon Him? John 1.33 says, He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on Him, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. God told John in some way, we don't know how, but He told him in some way, who you see the Holy Spirit come down upon him. This is he who's going to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is the Messiah. But it's also, if you look at it, what happens immediately after that? Jesus' earthly ministry begins, doesn't it? So we could look at it as an example for us to empower us for ministry. We need that as well in our lives, the Holy Spirit to come upon us to empower us for the ministry that God has for us. So Jesus' public ministry begins, it's the beginning of his earthly ministry, but it's also the beginning of the end 
of the ministry of John the Baptist. He must increase, I must decrease. Point number two, if you're taking notes, decrease. Flip back over to John chapter 3, if you will. John chapter 3, starting at verse 22. It says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now, just a quick point we need to understand that if you look over at chapter 4, verse 2, we get a little clarification there. It says, Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. So, just we're clear on that. Jesus didn't baptize, the disciples did. So maybe clarify that for you. So verse 23, Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there. Sounds like a good place to do baptisms, doesn't it? Baptism itself is very difficult to do without any water. Just what I'm thinking. I don't know about you guys. but Verse 24, For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine must be uh, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. So the key phrase then in point number two is decrease. Uh, He must increase, I must decrease, as we see in verse 30. So John had a healthy perspective on who Jesus was and who he was. John fully understood his calling, didn't he? John knew he was just the forerunner for Christ to prepare the way for Christ. In verses 27 through 30, John reaffirms that, that it's, it's all about Jesus. So Jesus' ministry becomes greater, John's ministry becomes lesser, But what is it that we see in verse 24? For John had not yet been thrown into prison. So for a complete record of what was transpiring there, flip over to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, chapter 6. I know we're looking at a lot of scripture. Stay with me. There is a point to be made. Okay, Mark, chapter 6. So, in verse 17, it says that for Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. So, Herod is marrying his brother's wife, Herodias. Verse 18, because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias 
held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. She must have been a looker, you know, and this must have been quite the dance for Herod to make this statement. Ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. He also swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And her mother, Herodias, said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. So, story of the beheading of John the Baptist, which obviously happens after what we're looking at this morning. So at that time, Palestine was divided into four territories, each ruled by what they called it a tetrarch. And Herod Antipas, called King Herod in the Gospels, was the ruler of Galilee. His brother Philip ruled over Trachonitis and Edumia. Now, Philip's wife was Herodias, but she left him to marry Herod Antipas. This has got, you know, middle-of-the-day TV written all over it, I think. I don't know about you guys. (laughs) So when John the Baptist confronted the two for committing adultery, Herod Antipas had John arrested and thrown into prison. So we saw in the text, later John was beheaded just to satisfy Herodias. So as we move on in this study, we now find John in prison before his beheading while Jesus' ministry continues, and we see a completely different side of John the Baptist, something that all of us experience at one time or another, which is point three, doubt. Which after all this, this is the focus of our study, you know. So I'm thinking, you know, just, just another hour, hour and a half, we'll be, we'll be good. Uh, so doubt, point number three, if you're taking notes. Flip over to Luke chapter seven. Remember way back when in the beginning I told you we were going to get to Luke? We're now at Luke chapter seven. We're going to start with verse 18. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. It says, Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. What what things? Well, if you look before, all that was happening before this verse, you see that Jesus' ministry was going on. He was healing people, you know, giving sight to the blind, those kind of things. And so the disciples of John, the Baptist, go to him in prison and report to him concerning all the things that are happening in Jesus' ministry. Verse 19, and even after hearing this, and John, calling two of his disciples 
to him, sent them to Jesus saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And in that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. So Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Verse 24 says, When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you see, or what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So John asked, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now why would John ask this question? I mean, John, what about the prophecy concerning you? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. John, what about your ministry? You came preaching repentance and baptizing. John, what about, you stated who you were not. You said, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, I am not the Christ. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. John, what about, you stated who you were. You said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He must increase, I must decrease. John, what about the thing that you stated about who Jesus was? He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. John saying all these things concerning Jesus. And John, what about the fact that God confirmed to you who Jesus was? I do not know him, but he, God, who sent me to baptize with water, said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. I've seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Really? John, why are you now questioning everything that you've believed? Let's doubt. Doubt. It can be caused by many different factors. Webster's definition of doubt is to fear or to suspect, to lack confidence in. 
Probably one of the most famous doubting statements comes from that great theologian, Eeyore, on Winnie the Pooh, when he said, Have a good day, if it is a good day, which I doubt. Do you remember that? So let's summarize John's situation. He shifts from a Christ focus to a focus on his own circumstances. He begins to doubt his ministry and the ministry of Jesus. He begins to doubt the prophecies concerning himself and Jesus. So he sends his disciples to ask Jesus for confirmation. What is Jesus' response to John's question? Are you the one? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus' answer to John was a confirmation of some of the prophecies in Isaiah that John would have, should have already known concerning the Messiah. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. But it's the one that Jesus didn't quote or reference that is interesting for us as well as John. In Isaiah 61.1 it says, speaking of the Messiah, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Well, what's that? Liberty to the captives, opening a prison to those who are bound. Hello, Jesus, what about me? John's thinking, I'm in prison, I'm bound. I think it's a perfectly good question, isn't it? If you know the verses in Isaiah that are prophesied concerning the Messiah, and you're in prison, and you know he gets people out of prison, would you have doubts? Would it cause you to doubt? But what else did Jesus say in verse 23? He said, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus is saying, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. John, you've been hearing about the things that are happening, and yet it seems like you're only concerned about what's not happening. We get that way, don't we? We begin to doubt. But having said all, all of this, let's not be too hard on John, because... He did do the right thing in his doubt. What was that? He turned to Jesus for the answer, didn't he? He took his problem, his doubt, his issue, and he took it to Jesus. We see in verses 24 through 28 that Jesus also reaffirms who John is and the ministry that John had. But in the last part of verse 28, we see an interesting statement because Jesus says, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Wow. Someone who's greater than John the Baptist? Who's Jesus referring to? Who's he talking about? You and me. Jesus in his conversation with a, another well-known doubter, Thomas, had this to say, and I'll just read this for you. It's found in John chapter 20. Now Thomas called the twin who was one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. This would have been after the resurrection, when Jesus had been appearing to the disciples. This particular time, 
Thomas wasn't there. The disciples are telling him, hey, this is what happened. You didn't see it. You weren't there. But this is what, this is what came down. And so the other disciples said, therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. Thomas said to them, I tell you what, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his, into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus comes and he said for Thomas, Do the very thing that you were doubting. The very thing that you were doubting, I want you to do to prove to you I am who I say I am. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Again, who's Jesus referring to when he says that? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Again, the answer is you and me. Because we believe. Jesus says we are greater than John the Baptist and that we are blessed. And because of this, we shouldn't doubt. But we do, don't we? So when we doubt, we're focusing on our current circumstances or situation. We're forgetting about the truth of what God's Word has said to us. We're forgetting about what we have seen God do in our life, our own experiences, and we're forgetting about the promises that God has for us. So the things that God has taught us from His Word that we already know, the things that we've seen God do in our life as a witness to us and testimony to us of Him working in our lives, and we're forgetting about the promises that God has for us in the future from His Word. So you see, it's key points here. It's not that we doubt who Jesus is, but we doubt who we are in Him at times, don't we? It's not who we doubt that, that we doubt who Jesus is, but that we doubt who we are in Him or who we are in Christ. But also, it's not that we doubt that God can, but we doubt that He will on a regular basis, don't we? We know what we know of God from His Word, and we don't doubt that God can. Where doubt creeps in for us is that whether He will or not. Have a good day if it is a good day, which I doubt. Right? Duh! That's us. That's us in our doubt. We pray for healing for people, don't we? And without a doubt, every one of us in here, I think, would agree, we know God can heal, don't we? So where does doubt creep in? Doubt creeps in when we go, well, I don't know whether He will or not. And we don't. We don't know whether or not He will because it's according to what? His will. He's in control. But we should never doubt God. The circumstances may be such that God has different purposes and plans But we shouldn't doubt. God can. So when we doubt, here's what we are to remember. 
God has not forsaken us. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He has not forsaken us. When we doubt, we are to remember He has not given up on us. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, he who has begun a good work in you will, be, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Remember, He's not given up on us, Philippians 1.6. We're also to remember that He knows what's best for us. He knows what's best for us. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Remember, He knows what's best for us. Isaiah 55, 8. He also has given us the promise of eternal life. Remember, He's given us the promise of eternal life. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He promised us, we are to remember, that He has given us eternal life. John 3, 16. And we are to remember that He loves us. God loves us. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So we're to remember He's not forsaken us. We're to remember He's not given up on us. We're to remember that He knows what is best for us. That He has given us the promise of eternal life. And that He loves us. Doubt. When we have doubt, we're to remember these things. So what would the opposite of doubt be? Faith? Sounds crazy, but it just might work. Faith. When we doubt, we should have faith. I don't know if you guys have heard what an acrostic is. An acrostic is where you take a word... And then the letters of that word would make up a phrase. So think about faith. Forsaking all, I trust Him. So when we're in doubt, we're to remember these things and we're to have faith, to put on faith. Forsaking all, I trust Him. Whatever's going on in my life, whatever I'm in the middle of, whatever I'm stressed out about, worried about, as we talked about on Wednesday night, whatever I have doubts about, I am to apply faith to that situation based on everything that I know about Jesus and my relationship with Him. So, when in doubt, don't. But rather, trust Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we have opportunity to just gather together as your children and open your word and, and Lord, study from it, to make application from it in our lives. But Lord, I also realize that if we gather together this morning as a, as a mixed group of people, there are only two types of people in this room this morning, those that believe and those that don't. Believers and non-believers. 
And for the non-believers this morning, Lord, if, if they're in this place and you have touched their heart with this word and that they've had doubts as to whether or not, number one, that they're even worthy of a Savior, number two, that they have doubts in that Savior, your word makes it very clear what Jesus provides for us. When he died on the cross for sins, past, present, and future, for all time, for each and every one of us individually. And he was raised from the dead on the third day to sit at the right hand of the Father so that he might intercede for us to the Father. He is there as our advocate. He is there for us. So if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your life for the sinful life that you live, for the sins that are present in your life, I pray this morning that you would just turn to Jesus, seek, seek the Lord, and allow Him to touch your heart and to know without a doubt that Jesus is there to be, to be a covering for the sins that you have committed and those that you will commit. He is the Savior, the only one, the Holy One, the Righteous One, the only one that's capable of saving us from our sin. So, Father, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit in this place this morning, as your Holy Spirit, Lord, is doing a work in three different ways right now, he is wooing those who do not know you to you, tugging at their heart, asking them to answer the question, to seek Jesus. And Lord, I also know that the saints that are here that have made a profession of faith and they have received you into their hearts, they also received the Holy Spirit. And I pray, saints, that you would be praying right now for those that don't have relationship with Jesus. Be interceding for them in prayer. And as we saw in our text today where the Holy Spirit comes upon those who he would, to empower them for ministry, Lord. I pray that the words that I'm speaking right now are coming directly from you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is upon me, speaking to the hearts of these people, Lord, that they might hear and believe. So, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, do your work in this place this morning. So if you're sitting here this morning and you don't have relationship with Jesus Christ, Pray with me now that, Lord Jesus, I know the condition that I am in. Lord, I no longer desire to stay in this state of being separated from you. But Lord, I desire to have fellowship and communion with you. To know and have a peace. To no longer worry or have doubts about my relationship with you, but Lord, confirm it in my heart right now that you have saved me, that you desire uh, to have relationship with me. Give me the peace and the comfort to know, Lord, that you love me and that's the reason that you died on the cross for my sins. If you've prayed that this morning, I would just ask, because we want to be able to continue to pray with you, we want to be able to continue to minister to you in any way we can, please just raise your hand up this morning.
raise your hand if you've made that commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning in your life. So, Father, for the believers, the Christians, your children that are gathered here this morning, Lord, it's our prayer. Lord, that you would help us, that you would comfort us when we worry and when we have doubt. We know from our study on Wednesday and our study this morning that you're the only one that can alleviate those thoughts, that condition of our heart of worry and doubt. And so, Lord, we bring it to you this morning. Whatever may be on our hearts and minds in this place, those things that are concerning us, that we would quit focusing on our circumstances and just look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, having faith in Him to overcome these things. I pray this morning that each one of us would just lay these things at the feet of Jesus, the one who is able to take care of these issues, the one who's able to deal with them and deal with us in a manner pleasing to Him. Father, in this place, we give you all the praise and all the glory for the work that you have done in us, that you're doing in us right now, and that we have the promise of the work that you'll be doing in us in the future. Thank you, Lord, so much for what you mean to us and who you are. Lord, bless us now as we go our way this morning. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.